Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Happy July 4th, America. Happy July 4th. It's this this next Tuesday, and it's because we founded the greatest country the world has ever known, the most charitable, liberal, loving country. With all of our faults, it we are the place to be. So celebrate and uh, have fun. And before I forget, next week, we're going to take a break on your money on the podcast. Don will still be doing his nightly videos every night the market's open, however, I'm going to give the guys a break, and we're going to take a break. The markets are only open half-day Monday, closed on July 4th, and so it's going to be kind of a low-volume, slow week, and so we just decided, and Zach's going to be traveling out of town. He's going on vacation. We could have done it remotely. We said, you know what, let's just take a break. So we will see you in two weeks on Your Money Radio Stock Nerds, Uh, but I just wanted to throw that out before I forget. All right, now let's go to the show. Let's go to boldly go where no economist has gone before. (laughs) These are the stories of the Nobel laureate Harry Markowitz and the efficient frontier with modern portfolio theory. Now, here is the question. Does the capital asset pricing model CAPM work? Does modern portfolio theory work? Are the returns under the normal standard distribution, a.k.a. the bell curve. Because all of that is predicated on returns uh, falling under the bell curve. Okay? Now, also celebrating, we're celebrating, well, celebrating and, and honoring the passing of William Bill O'Neill of IBD fame. And he was one of the early guys in the 60s that started putting compute, uh, charts on computers and started automa- automating that. And he com- combines technicals with fundamentals, and he has active management, and he has buy and sell rules, okay, versus Markovitz that basically said if you bought different stocks, you could reduce the risk of your portfolio, and then you would just have non-correlated assets and it would smooth out the portfolio. So there's pros and cons on both. We're going to talk about that. And by the way, Mike Webster was on IBD live fame. He was a, he's a famous money manager for Bill O'Neill. He went off on his own uh, a family office in Austin hired him. And so he's not really on IBD or doesn't work for uh, uh, 
the William O'Neill companies anymore, but but he actually did it. They they allowed him to come on and and, and in in honor of Bill O'Neill's passing and kind of come on and tell a few stories. And and Don and the team were all on that this morning. So we're going to talk about that. But that's a lot about what this show is about today. Does this is is this modern portfolio theory pie chart set it and forget it the way to go? Or is kind of Bill O'Neill's active management way to go? Those are two big, broad, encompassing topics. And then by far, this is probably going to be Don's favorite segment today. And there's an article on the eight reasons why not to buy an annuity. So, yes. <laughs> so any, and by the way, all these articles are on the show notes, in fact, and then treasury yield inversion, will it be different this time? Okay. So, um, on the show notes, I've got, and all these articles are posted up there. In fact, I had a whole bunch more and somehow I lost them this morning. They were in my drafts folder and they disappeared. I think it's artificial intelligence. They're out to get us. Oh, actually, it's Pilot Air. It was me. I probably accidentally deleted it. So I had to go rebuild it quickly before the show. But Treasury yields, is it different this time? Uh, uh, misunderstood economist uh, Harry Markovich. Harry Markovich's father, more modern portfolio theory. Blockchain separates from crypto. For all you crypto groupies out there that you want to read this. And the eight reasons not to buy an annuity. Let's go in reverse order because I can hit this annuity thing real fast. Eight reasons not to buy an annuity besides the fact they're terrible. Uh, they're not that bad. Depends on what you're using them for. Uh, if you have other sources of income, pension, uh, Social Security, et cetera, if you, don't have Ill, uh, if you have inadequate liquid savings because they're not liquid, they've got surrender, or a lot of them do. Shorter life expectancy. If you're going to die soon, you don't want to do an annuity. The way you win on an annuity is you live past your life expectancy by about five years because the insurance company's got to have a profit margin in there. So the only way you win on an annuity is to live longer than you're supposed to. The way to win on life insurance is to die early. Of course, you don't want to do that, but that's the way those things work. Anyway, surrender charges and taxes. Those are big, terrible. Limited growth. Yep, limited growth. Inflation. Most of them aren't indexed to inflation. High fees and expenses. Don't even get me started. Uh, and then estate uh, planning objections, you don't get a step up in basis when at the date of death. And they're also tax inefficient. It's income first, the return of principal second. So just did that. That's on there. Now, let's talk about um, um, very quickly the Treasury yield curve. Is it indifferent this time? I'm not going to do the whole article. I'm just going to go over the quick highlights. So this this article saying the last six recessions um, um, uh, became inverted. And is it different this time? They say no, but it's not different. It's just unique. Now, the key takeaways, the bottom line is debt drives the economy. Lending drives the economy. So when you increase rates, you decrease lending. Yes, that's true. Thank you, Captain Genius. Now, um, there's two ways the bank makes money. Credit difference, credit arbitrage and time arbitrage. So normally they borrow short and lend long. Here's the problem. The interest rates are inverted and short-term rates are higher than long. So they're actually having negative cash flows and having losses. It's tough for the banks right now. Here's the other thing, credit. Banks are very good credit quality, the best, because they're FDIC insured normally. And so they've got very low, they can borrow at very low rates and they lend at higher rates. Okay. So that they make money on the credit spread. Here's the problem. 
people because rates are higher, the deals, the, the demand for loans is going down. The whole point is he's saying that, A, number one, the banks may be in a little bit of trouble or still are they're a little struggling, not necessarily in trouble. But also he's talking about the effect of the percentage of GDP that the debt expense is taking up. And so he's talking about the crowding out, that, that it's going to cause problems later. And he's saying he's thinking that a lot of times the inversion happens prior or concurrently with the recession, not before. That's an interesting take on this article. Most people look at the inversion uh, as as predicting the recession. And this guy says a lot of times the inversion occurs first and then you go into a recession. So anyway, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it's wrong. All right. Let's go to the main thrust and topics of the show. Okay, so Harry uh, 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 Markovitz was kind of the father of modern portfolio theory, and he actually fell into it by accident. A lot of people don't know this. This guy was actually a mathematician and a quant guy, and he, he, he was an economist. I'm not saying he wasn't an economist, but he was really into computers, and he did a lot of computer work. And so he was, and before that, it was always about really doing a whole bunch of due diligence, diving deep in the fundamentals, the Dodd-Frank I mean, not Dodd Frank, uh, uh, Graham, uh, Dodd Graham books that Buffett wrote. The va- I mean, the bread, the valuations, and so you always want to pick individual stocks on their own merit. Period. And what Markovitz did is he said, "Look, you want to look at some different stocks and uh, and actually try to because they'll be non-correlated, they'll move differently from another. And if you add more stocks in there, you'll get some diversification, and then you you." you find what they call the efficient frontier, the optimum portfolio for any level of return. Now, here's the thing that, that, that uh, the, the, one of his biggest criticisms is he didn't adjust for market cycles. So he didn't adjust for, you know, when interest rates start to rise, you really take a lot off the bonds or inflation. You you move out of bonds and or go shorter into the yield curve. You go shorter in bonds or you get defensive and go to defensive stocks and get away from high beta stocks. So he was never doing any sector rotation. He was just trying to basically buy a pie chart and set it and forget it. Anyway, it's a very interesting article and uh, you can read it. There, there's some holes in it. But one of the main things is returns are not under the bell curve. They don't fall under the normal standard distribution. So it's kind of like a giant stepped on that bell curve and squashed it. So you have fatter tails. That means you have more surprises, both in the right upper tail, big upsized returns like 98, 99, 2019. But then you also have major down years. Uh, the tech wreck, 2000, 2008, economic crisis, crash of 87, et cetera, COVID. So in other words, you're having a lot more major big down draws than they think. In, in plain English, it's like they're measuring for the 100-year flood, but it comes every seven or eight years. And that's why I keep saying they love the analogy in the in the shop. I tell the guys, well, yeah, that modern portfolio theory, if you got a pie chart and set it, forget it. It's fine if you're an oak tree. If you have enough time, yes, the market continually goes up. But with humans, we have about a 20-year saving period and a 20, 30-year uh, living off of the money period. Okay, if we're going into a huge bear market right at or before retirement, it cuts our savings by a, thir- two third, a third or half. So now we have half as much money 
for retirement. And so the closer you get to retirement, it becomes even more important to have some kind of defense or uh, defensive strategy. So anyway, and that's kind of the difference of that modern portfolio theory that Harry Markovitz model and the Bill O'Neill IBD model. So with that, let's talk about, um, let's, let's go to Don. And first of all, Don, how was Mike Webster and how was that? I, I was busy. I, I didn't get to watch it, but it had to be awesome. Mike was his usual fantastic self talking, uh, going through a bunch of the innovations that he came up with working at Bill or working with Bill uh, over the years and talking about a few updates that he's uh, done to one of them. And some of them they're incorporating into the upcoming release of Market Smith chart. So that was uh, good to hear that. Always a good listen to Mike. Uh, great follow on Twitter. He's... Um, I mean, I consider him one of my mentors because of the number of times that I went to their, uh, the IBD market schools and master's programs and had him present, got the privilege of meeting him in person several times. And uh, he's a, just a great human being in addition. And uh, at the end of his appearance, he uh, teared up reflecting on uh, not only what a great investor, but what a great man Bill O'Neill was. And um, he, he's one of the guys that are carrying the torch forward uh, for Bill. And it was great to see him again on IBD Live. Yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, Well, hopefully they recorded that or, and I'll be able to watch it. Later. Oh, yeah, they always do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So let's let's talk about the markets. And let, so so actually, there's another, uh, you know, I got to go add that on the show notes as soon as I get off. There was another art. Well, it's kind of simple, I guess. I don't need to add it. It's, it's called it says the best performing ETFs of the year, like the top 15. So I said, oh, man, I need to go look at that. I need to go see which sectors are the best because that, you know, if it's gold or if it's natural resources or if it's tech semiconductors, it's going to be socks. Right. So I go in there, and the first one is the single stock Tesla ETF that's one and a half times Tesla. The next one is Microsoft. And, then, and so basically the top six were all the single stock ETFs, which, by the way, there's only a handful of them, 12 or 15 of the biggest, strongest. They're making more and more every day. But it's those big techs that have been carrying this market until just recently, the breadth has been expanding, which is good, good sign. But the point being is, out of the 15, the first six or seven were all individual stock ETFs, and then you started hitting a few narrow sectors. That tells me we're moving into a stock picking market, in, in a, you know, versus a broad index market. So with that, Don, I set the table. You and the team, team take it over. You know that's that's kind of a a, a a a kind of an anomaly for this year. You you mentioned are we going into a stock picking market? But although the indexes and really I'm referring to the S and P and the Nasdaq 100 have been acting fine, it's because of seven stocks at the top uh, up until the prior couple of weeks that really led the way. So. Um, if you focused only on those stocks this year, you're you're doing extremely well. If you were being an individual stock picker and avoided those stocks, you're trailing badly, uh, especially if you're an active manager 
who who didn't uh and this is one of the reasons why the s p is so hard to beat for large cap active managers it's because they try to place bets uh they're really all closet indexers because they have to stay as close to the uh, s p as possible or they'll lose their jobs really being a large cap uh manager we we avoid avoid getting involved in those mutual funds in the few accounts that we manage that are limited to mutual funds and it's just absolutely best to go with the index fund because when the rotation occurs and i've said this numerous times uh, you move quickly uh, very often from value to growth and vice versa and from in in out of uh, unfavorable sectors into emerging sectors and all that rotation happens very quickly within the s p 500 so just own the s p 500 and we like to do it with a leverage product sso preferably uh, so that we tie up less of our money and get uh, the same return on 60 percent of the portfolio that uh, the s p is going to give and uh, I, I'm, I, you know, we pick stocks to add alpha to the portfolio under the right circumstances. That is when you're in a, grow, uh, a bull market that is favoring growth stocks uh, and you're trending above the key moving averages. And that's where we've been really since March 29th of this year. I've, there, there have been two major inflection points this year in the indexes. March 29th was the first follow through day which anybody familiar with O'Neill knows what that uh, means. And the second one was on June 2nd, when we gapped above uh, a level of uh, congestion and we haven't broken those lows since. You could also argue that 525, which was the, <laughs> which was the big NVIDIA uh, earnings report that really a lot of people were questioning is AI overhyped, but when you saw the numbers that NVIDIA put up and the reaction to stocks that were tied to AI after that, and we haven't breached that 525 low either. Uh, so I'll add a third inflection point uh, into that, but those have been key three key uh, dates. We talk about inflection points all the time in the videos. We had a, a recent one uh, just this past week, uh, it was in the title of the email on 627. It's when a character change occurs in the markets, either to the upside or the downside, and you trade against the prior high or low against that level. And all of these inflection points have broke in favor of the bulls this year. And all we're doing is following what the market's telling us to do and not arguing with it. And uh, very happy to see a nice gap up in the markets this morning. We've been trending bullishly. The trends uh, lead you to have expectations. Our expectations were positive. PCE inflation data came in either in line or lighter than expected, cooler than expected. Markets gapped up and haven't given it back to this point. They're challenging the highs from a couple of weeks ago, which are recovery highs uh, off of the bear market low. So. Uh, we're being rewarded by being patient throughout 2022 and keeping our capital dry, our powder dry, and by participating when the wind is at our back, starting with those uh, dates that I mentioned, those inflection point dates. Uh, following the system and waiting for the rewards and uh, happy to be reaping them, uh, especially since March 29th. 
Any comments on that, Dan, or anything that you need to provide for the crowd? Actually, that was uh, very succinct. Nobody more surprised than me that, but I just wanted to, to clarify when Don says, when Don says, when Don says like 60% SSO is a double. So what he means is instead of taking an indexed ETF, an S&P 500 ETF, a, just a regular one that's 60%, you could do a double and take 30% and get the same effect for the, uh, as a 60%. And then you still leave 30% cash available for other things. Right. So, and okay. we can put, we, and then we set aside 10% of that cash, at least 10%, uh, as long as we're getting a uh, four plus percent yield on short-term bonds, which we've been getting all of this year. We were up to 30% in bonds while the market was sorting itself out earlier this year. We uh, cut that down to 10% now. We keep 10% for hedging. And then the other 50% of the portfolio is for either sector ETFs or leading stocks. And we're uh, very full in the portfolio right now. We've only got 5% spare cash uh, to put to work. So, Well, that's another really uh, good point. I, I want to make one more. So you just made a great point. So SSO, because it's a leveraged S&P ETF, has a higher internal management fee than just a single indexed S&P ETF. So you're paying a slightly higher management fee for that double effect, right? However, what Don just said, but you're talking about, you know, 20, 30 basis points. You're not talking about a lot the difference, the differential, but then on the interest rate, getting 5% in T-bills on the short-term rate, you actually make more money on the interest on the capital that you left free, the 30% available than you did using that, paying a little more management fee for that double ETF. So there's more, there's two different reasons to use it. The, the other benefit of using uh, the SSO product is while, Leadership always isn't apparent in the market. There, the market climbs a wall of worry, and it certainly has this year. Uh, you know, breaking back below the 200-day moving average in March before that March 29th follow-through day uh, set us on and, and really cemented the uptrend. And people have been arguing with that, with this rally uh, since the day that it started, saying that you know the fundamentals just don't fit it. We've got a recession coming. You've got to be crazy to have money in the market. There's no way housing can succeed with higher interest rates. And all of all of those people have been wrong. It's the people that have been following price opinions that have been on the right side of the market this year. And we're we're happy to be them. But it's really just following a system that, first of all, really was. Uh, documented years ago by Jesse Livermore and then followed up with Richard Wyckoff and then uh, William O'Neill and uh, Mark Minervini and a bunch of the legends that have just built on the foundation that you go you go with what the price of the market is telling you, not what anybody's opinion is telling you because fundamentals will lag the technicals. Uh, we want fundamentals intact for the stocks that we buy because it's not a chart that makes a stock go higher. It's the story behind that chart, the N in CanSlim, something new. Then you need the M in CanSlim, the market. And those two in combination, as long as you're picking liquid stocks that are institutional favorites, is a recipe for a higher account balance. And then when those stop working, you get the heck out of the way. Um, so, you know, we're, we're pleased with the results we've had, particularly over the last two months. Uh, and, um, may it continue higher through the rest of the year. I know this is normally the, um, uh, 
weak part the, yeah. the summer doldrums uh, the weaker part of the market the nasdaq typically tops on july 14th uh, according to the Traders Almanac, you know, there's a lot, these are, there's a lot of secondary indicators that we're aware of, but they're just that secondary indicators. We're aware of them, uh, but price and volume and relative strength are the three things that are going to keep us on the right track. Oh yeah. Listen, listen, you're talking about seasonality. It, 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 you heard the, the old, the, it, from, from the Almanac, I almost said Farmer's Almanac, from the Traders Almanac, it's seasonality. You've heard sell in May and go away. So you theoretically, if you're just supposed to do it real simple, you sell in May and then you buy back in November and just do that. But that's that's that. And look, I'm very good at fundamentals. In the, I mean, I've been classically formally trained in economics and valuations and fundamentals. And if you had asked me at the beginning of this year that our economy is actually going to accelerate a little bit toward the second half of the year and it looks like it's going to be OK and that the stock market would be doing well. I'd have, I'd have said no. I mean, I would have said the probabilities are, if I had to go one side or the other, I would have bet against it. I didn't think it would happen. But price is truth, and price is telling us it doesn't matter what I think or how I feel. I have to follow price. All right, go ahead, Don. All right, let's move it over to the fellas now, and let's start off with Michael today. Mike, uh, what do you got for our uh audience whom we love and adore by listening to us. All right. Uh, for our audience today, I uh, want to talk about uh, the auto stocks and um, not just the uh, manufacturers, but also the retailers, two super strong groups um, that, yeah, look to be continuing um, and have, have momentum. Um, and the, the first uh, chart I want to pull up, um, or I'd like you to pull up, please is Ford, um, ticker symbol F. So yeah, as you can see, um, late May, Ford um, held that, <clears throat> excuse me, held that $11 level of support and has just um, been, been rallying ever since. And the fundamentals behind uh, why the auto stocks are doing really well is because you've got um, record low unemployment. So you've got a lot of uh, people with jobs and, and money to spend. Uh, consumer confidence is strong, so that shows that the uh, consumer is willing to spend that money. Um, and you had a lot of pent-up demand from supply chain issues last year. So these um, these auto manufacturers have really strong uh, margins because of uh, this demand. They've been able to maintain their, their prices, um, and they also now on their um, cost of goods sold, uh, their... their um, their materials costs are actually coming down um, as we've seen in, in um, CPI. So it's a great environment for, for the auto manufacturers um, and you can see it in the charts and, and some other charts of uh, autos are um, Tesla, of course, um, performing really well off the bottom. Um, if you wanna pull up that chart, Very similar off that May bottom, just just been rallying. And then the last one is um, similar to Tesla, just switching the S and the T, STLA, which is Stellantis. And um, Stellantis is actually the top um, top EV seller in, in Europe, um, the, the number one EV seller. And the top selling car, part of the reason for the performance um, in, in Ford and the reason why it's it's been so strong is that the top selling car in May 
2023 was the F series, uh, and the F series has, has been typically up in the top five, maybe the number one for a long time in the U.S. Um, been very very strong, and that was up 42.7 percent year over year. And then to confirm, so this is the the uh, number eight group, and to confirm this strength in the auto retailers, or sorry, the auto manufacturers, you can see that the auto retailers have also been really strong. And some of those charts, one of them is LAD, Lithium Motors. Super strong chart, just confirming as well, the, the retailers are the 14th group. Another one is ABG. Uh, yeah, so all all of those all of those charts over ninety relative strength strong groups momentum continuing and if the recession that's so anticipated doesn't come which it looks like uh, the the Atlanta Fed just up their their Q two GDP uh, target to to two point two from from one point eight and the GDP numbers that came in for Q one were revised higher so the economy still looks good and auto manufacturers and retailers are still performing well and there's a lot of demand. So as long as the consumer holds up, you can also see uh, in, in the XLY, which is consumer discretionary, that consumer discretionary tends to lead the, the market and consumer discretionary is really strong. And, and that's what, what uh, the auto manufacturers are. So as long as those hold up, you, there should be some tailwinds to continue that that'll persist in for, for the auto manufacturers and We've got Tesla um, deliveries this weekend, so that could be another boost uh, to Tesla and the other auto stocks. So something to keep an eye on. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's what I got this week. Thanks, Mike. And that's an, the two more, uh, or certainly another uh, situation where, if you were going by what you're reading about the horrible economy, that uh, those are sectors that you wouldn't expect to be outperforming. But we got a durable goods order on, was it Monday mm -hmm. or Tuesday of this week that really kind of kicked off a rally because durable goods uh, strong, aren't yeah. purchased, aren't strong uh, in during recessionary times. So uh, but this the was downside strong. is yeah. that the stronger... Yeah, this was strong. The The downside is that these uh, more positive economic data that we've been getting in uh, is now the market is pricing in two more interest rate increases for the Fed by the end of the year. But um, they're bound to determine to break the back of inflation. The inflation data was low today, which really or below uh, expectations, which really is has what's kicked off this. Uh, rally, but um, the Fed wants to see weakening employment numbers and weakening uh, retail sales and durable goods numbers, and they're not seeing it. In fact, in the consumer confidence numbers that came in today were sw slightly above expectations also. So um, it's not all doom and gloom out there. Thanks, Mike. Let's go over to- Yeah, and also, uh, just, just, sorry, uh, just to follow up to- okay. um, just quickly, a follow-up to last week's podcast where I was talking about the, the leading indicators. Durable goods orders are a leading indicator. So that shows that the economy with the with the soft landing may be, may be accelerating again and may not um, yeah, be decelerating. So, 
All right, let's uh, let's go over to Ted. He's got a couple of charts he's going to go over to and uh, take it away, Ted. You guys hear me? Yep. Yes, we can. Okay. So today I'm going to talk about a technical setup called the Oops Reversal. And this was uh, developed by a market legend named Larry Williams. And so I'm just going to give the definition real quick. And so it's basically when the price opens, like, in the present day below the prior's day close and then retakes that close. And that's like the, the like traditional buy point or pivot point with an oops reversal. And so often um, oops reversals can mark key reversals in price trend. And if you combine this with moving averages, prior resistance, turn support or undercut previous lows and reclaim of those previous lows that can increase your probabilities of the trade. So on the screen right now, you, you have LSCC, and on that day, I actually bought the stock on that day. Um, we gapped down below the prior close, I mean, prior low, and then it retook it. And that's where I took this, the trade. And as you can see, that's reverse, the low of fractal. Um, and then the next one is AEHR back, back like a few months ago. Um, yeah. This one is less subtle because the gap was only like, the gap down or open below was only like a few cents. So it's very subtle, but as you can see, um, it retook the pr previous day's lows and that was also the bottom of that downtrend. And then it, it marked up and made a pretty nice move. Um, I mean, that's really all I have to say about the oops reversal is really powerful in marking bottoms, but also you can use this in marking tops too. I don't have an example this week, but if you gap up and then kind of below the price, that's all a topic as well. Short week, but just wanted to share that. Looks like, is that an oops reversal on these far left two, can, uh, far right two candles on LSCC or uh, on AEHR also? I can't see the, the chart's a little cloudy for me. Okay, looks like it, uh, it opened, made a new low, and then reclaimed it by the end of the day. I, I think actually the open has to be yeah. below, so that wouldn't be an oops reversal. But uh, very similar, but there's some subtle differences. All right. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Ted. Connor's got, uh, we'll go over to Connor now. He's got four charts to show us. Take it away, Connor. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. So um, last weekend, I came across. Uh, interesting kind of data point for all the major indexes and something that aligned with the three and one index that might be forming that right now. So yeah, is that, so basically what I found was that every major market index bottomed at the 50 month moving average and sorry, but yeah, so every index uh, bottomed at the 50 month moving average, and this is on the monthly time frame. And below this chart is the CTM trend indicator. And what you can see is when they bottomed at the 50 month moving average, that indicator flipped uh, positive with the trend. So it flipped back above 60. And what that indicator means is that the trend is up. So this is the, um, um, sorry. Yeah, so at the queues, it undercut it a little bit, um, reclaimed it, and the trend's been up ever since. And you want to pick, uh, pull up the Dow Jones, Don, or whatever next. Yeah, want to say, yeah, want to say, say first of all, look back in uh, 2015, 
2016, 2019, and 2021, same thing, or 2020, same thing happened, bottoming at the 50-month moving average. Good uh, good find there, Connor. Uh, yeah, that's and, the um, SPY. Okay, yeah, same situation here. I mean, it had that, it kind of wicked right down to that moving average, and, and as it held that, it's resumed higher, so... I mean, when you look back and zoom out on these charts, um, this could have just been a pullback in a secular uptrend. I mean, the only time that the price lived below this average was 2008 and that nasty bear market. And this is, um, and look, even uh, the COVID low, it undercut and reclaimed it very quick and the trend resumed up. And now do you want to pull up the IWM? Yeah. And this is the one that uh, caught my eye, especially because price is right at this line right now. So this could be a trade idea, given that it's sitting right there. And when you look at uh, SPY, QQQ, DIA, um, buying around this average was a very good risk to reward long and an easy level to risk off. Um, and 2016, it bounced off there, 2019, um, 2020, it undercut and reclaim. And really only 2008, 2009 was when price lived below that average. So I found, <clears throat> I found this very interesting that price is right on it right now. And um, this could indicate a spot for a reversal in the Russell, especially with financials and oil starting to see some rotation again as well. So this is an idea that I'm watching. Yeah, that's... Uh, all i got for today all right thanks guys dan uh three solid presentations there we reviewed the market and uh i guess it's back to you to wrap it up unless you've got some mailbag or something like that that we need oh to good call don i did have a mailbag <laughs> i, forget and the I mail gotta bag. find it thanks don um where did i put that mailbag i know i oh He's got it around here somewhere. Yeah, I do have it around here somewhere, and it was a very good question. Well, I guess I'm going to have to uh, bring it up next week. It was about PLTR, uh, Don. Yep. Can, uh, can, can you pull that up real quick? Yeah. I thought I brought it in, but I don't apparently didn't have it on me. So it was from KC. Yeah, I can talk about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, somebody was asking us about Palantir, that it pulled back to the 21. This came in last week, late last week. Uh, was asking us about uh, Palantir, were we looking at buying it? And when we got the email, uh, my point, uh, my response was not, um, we're not looking to get into it until it shows some signs that it's actually formed a bottom. So at this point, uh, it was sitting on the 21. The next day, it broke lower. The next day, it broke lower again, but finished in the top part of the range. Uh, the next day on the 26th, it was rejected by the 21 EMA. But then on the 27th, a change in character, it poked its head back above the 21 EMA. Uh, on the 28th, uh, confirmation of that change in character, making a higher high and getting back above the ADMA. This looks fine now. We're just fully allocated basically in the portfolio. 
and um, not in this, but uh, you know, we're in a bunch of stocks that are acting as as good or slightly better well, well, that, uh, than Palantir. That's a great point. I want to bring that up because the email came in last Saturday and Palantir was still. So the markets had had a pullback and then some of the tech stocks had already started to rally and, and, and correct themselves and become better charts. And they were better. And Palantir hadn't correct. It hadn't fixed itself yet. So when Don answered, he said, look, th this one, it, it, we were we were watching it. And we're still, it's on our list, but right now there's other stocks doing better. So Monday and Tuesday, that was still not ready yet. It, it hadn't set up to be right because you don't know if it's going to continue just to sell down. But all of a sudden, the last couple of days, it is now a buy. So early in the week, it wasn't a buy. And now it actually could be a buy. And that's why active management, that's why we constantly are adjusting and changing things to adjust risk. And that is the great, and that's how you manage drawdowns. So you don't incur big, big drawdowns. Folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, just send them to revereasset.com and up in the right upper hand corner. There's a subscribe button. You can put your name and email in. We're not going to spam you or reach out to you in any way. It's up to you to reach out to us. Uh, uh, and you can email me dan at revereasset.com or don at revereasset.com or michael, ted, or connor at revereasset.com. And you can always call us old school at 855 real wealth folks have a wonderful july 4th be safe remember we're going to take a break off next week and we'll talk to you in two weeks on your money because it's not how much you make in the markets it's how much of that you can keep Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.